A vaccine for adult shingles was approved in 2006, but recent data shows delivery of the vaccine has been a challenge. How is one university initiative raising immunization rates for adult shingles? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and our guests today are Dr. William Schaffner, Professor and Chair of Preventive Medicine at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine and Vice President of the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases, and Dr. Michael Oxman, Professor of Medicine and Pathology at the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine. Dr. Oxman is also National Chair of the Shingles Prevention Study. Dr. Schaffner and Dr. Oxman, welcome. It's a pleasure to be with you, Mark. Likewise. Today we are discussing initiatives to raise immunization rates for adult shingles. Gentlemen, in pediatrics, prevention is always stressed, and that is a relatively new concept to internists in terms of preventive medicine as opposed to treating disease. Now, how does that change in philosophy and that change in thinking relate to using adult vaccines And what about programs that could have a significant impact in this regard? Well, you sounded pretty optimistic, Mark, about how far along internists and other doctors who take care of adults have come in embracing prevention. I'm much less impressed with that. Uh, I'm impressed with the fact that most of my colleagues in adult medicine spend most of their time and energy treating disease rather than preventing it. This is Schaffner. Let me add to that. It's certainly true that internists spend more time diagnosing and treating disease, but then human beings are older and they have more illnesses. They're also used to uh, initiating prevention through the use of drugs, the widespread use of Lipitor, for example. What they're not as used to doing is preventing through the use of vaccines. First of all, I'd like to say the pediatricians have the better vaccines and they have many more of them, but more importantly, and I guess I'm a realist here, The pediatricians have pretty secure mechanisms so that their patients' vaccines are paid for, and they almost always have reasonable administration fees. Not so for adults. Many insurance programs, we call it health insurance, but it's really medical insurance, don't cover vaccines. This is even true of the Medicare program, which covers them imperfectly. I think if we had a financing program, if you will, a national adult immunization program, I think we could get our internist colleagues much more focused on delivering vaccines. Well, what kind of program can we develop that could affect this? Well, it would seem to me that the single act which would markedly increase the use of vaccines in adults would be to add them to Medicare Part B, as in boy or baby, so that the physician can administer the vaccine and be reimbursed for both the vaccine and for his uh, activities administering it. Right now, one of the major problems with the use of the shingles vaccine is it's covered by Medicare Part D, as in dumb, uh, which, uh, <laughs> uh, which is really, as far as I can tell, designed for, for drugs like Lipitor, and so that the only way that reimbursement can occur now is for a physician to give the patient a prescription for the vaccine, have the patient bring that to the drugstore and purchase the vaccine and then bring it back to the physician to administer. And because of the lack of stability 
of the vaccine at room temperature, that creates not only a payment issue, but an efficacy issue. Well, should we develop a relationship with the pharmacist uh, to help uh, administer this vaccine? That's exactly what we've done, Mark, at the Vanderbilt Medical Center. Uh, We recognize this difficulty, and so since pharmacists in Tennessee are permitted, if they go through a training program and get certified to actually give inoculations, we've trained all of our outpatient hospital and clinic pharmacists to inoculate patients with this vaccine. So now our physicians can write those prescriptions. The patients take them down to the pharmacy, and right there in the pharmacy, they will be inoculated with the vaccine. It's made it much smoother. Dr. Schaffner, just curious, uh, throughout the country, are pharmacists generally allowed to give any vaccine? Increasingly, in states around the country, pharmacists now, if they undertake a training program and become certified, can give vaccines. We're all familiar with the fact that you can go into many supermarkets to the pharmacy and get influenza vaccine, for example, or go into a large chain pharmacy and, again, be given both influenza and pneumococcal vaccines. This is important because there are many uh, adults who don't have regular medical providers, and so access to vaccines and their delivery is enhanced in this way. Even in a situation as we have at the VA Medical Center here, where money and reimbursement are not involved because of the fact that the vaccine, the Zoster vaccine, has to be kept frozen, even in its dried, lyophilized form, until it is uh, diluted and administered, we have established vaccination clinics which are staffed by pharmacy technicians who have been trained so that doctors enter an electronic order for vaccination, and then the patient goes to the clinic where the freezer is right there. The vial can be taken out of the freezer, the diluent can be added, and it can be inoculated within just a few minutes before there's any loss of activity. Well, I can understand how that solves the logistic concerns, but what about the remuneration? Fortunately, in taking care of eligible veterans, that isn't an issue. Now, in the private practice of medicine, of course, there is a disadvantage to that in that the physician does not receive an administration fee. Our physicians have said protecting the patient is much more important than that, and so we've established this system whereby our clinic pharmacists will deliver the vaccine. It's not ideal. Once again, let's move all vaccines recommended by the CDC for routine use in adults age 65 and over from Part D, as Mike says, D for dumb in the Medicare program, (laughs) to Part B, which is better. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. William Schaffner, professor and chair of preventive medicine at Vanderbilt University, and Dr. Michael Oxman, professor of medicine and pathology at the University of California, San Diego. We are discussing initiatives to raise immunization rates for adult shingles. Gentlemen, do the pharmacists need additional liability insurance to be covered if they administer the shingles vaccine, such as they do at Vanderbilt? This is Schaffner. My understanding is that pharmacists now have liability insurance that recognizes this because it's really quite common throughout the United States. This is not a rate-limiting factor. Pharmacists can get that very easily. And fortunately, of course, adverse reactions immediately associated with such 
inoculations as vaccines are really quite rare. Let me bring up another issue specific to the Zoster vaccine, which I hope that the publication of the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices recommendations will do a lot to remedy. The package insert, which to date has been the only real official information on the vaccine, creates two problems. First of all, it implies, but doesn't state, but it implies that there's questions about the activity of the vaccine in people who are 80 or over. And the second thing is that it doesn't talk about the efficacy for the incidence of post-diabetic neuralgia, which for those of us who began working on the vaccine in 1991 was our main motivation, and that was to prevent this terrible pain syndrome of post-diabetic neuralgia. So what I found here in San Diego is that some physicians have gotten a message, which is incorrect, that the vaccine is ineffective in people who are 80 and over. And that certainly isn't the case. We, in the shingles prevention study, had two age strata in which patients were randomized from the beginning, 60 to 69 and 70 and older. And the two-thirds reduction in the incidence of post-diabetic neuralgia was exactly the same in the younger and the older age strata. Now, we didn't have enough people who were 80 and over to give a definitive answer, but it's extraordinarily unlikely that with no diminution in the effect between 60 and 80, there's going to be a sharp change at exactly at age 80. In the past number of years, there certainly has been trepidation among the parents of the pediatric population with respect to the safety of vaccines. Do you think that this is also going to be an issue with the safety of vaccines such as the shingles vaccine? I think it's not nearly as likely, Mark. First of all, the uh, issue in pediatrics unreasonably has focused on the preservative thimerosal. And the shingles vaccine, and indeed the chickenpox vaccine, do not contain this preservative. So I think that this issue is not going to be terribly important for folks who are adults. The other thing that I think that the media has not done a very good job on is talking about biological cost-benefit analysis. So that even if you take one of the worst vaccines, if you will, and that is the whole cell pertussis vaccine, which had a lot of side effects, those side effects were a drop in the bucket compared to the deaths and strokes and other side effects that occurred with pertussis. So that when this sort of word spread with these side effects with pertussis vaccine, in the UK, for example, they essentially stopped giving it. And the death rate and the number of children with strokes from pertussis went up remarkably. So my father used to say, you don't get something for nothing. And even if there are side effects, you've got to compare those to the effects of the disease itself. Since the CDC has recommended this, do you think this in of itself would be an impetus for the government in terms of Medicare to change its remuneration policy for the shingles vaccine? The fact that the CDC has made this recommendation is a terrific beginning, but that in and of itself is not going to change Medicare reimbursement policy. That will require legislative action. The legislators will have to be convinced that that change is worth it. And I would hope, <laughs> I would hope that both uh, patients, physicians, let 
their legislators know that it's important that we offer protection by immunization, immunization against a whole array of diseases, readily and easily to the senior adult population in the United States, just as we have so successfully to uh, members of our population at the other end of the age spectrum, infants and children. I want to thank our guests, Dr. William Schaffner and Dr. Michael Oxman. We have been discussing initiatives to raise immunization rates for adult shingles. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website, www.reachmd.com, now featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.